You're joining us for another episode of My Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold. Conscious construction starts now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I've moved to a way more upgraded facility, which is nice, because there's somebody that actually does the audio engineering, you can hear me loud and clear, and I can still be here with y'all. It's pretty nice. So today's episode is called Personality Intention and How It All Goes Wrong. I know that every single one of you has had moments in your life where you find yourself consistently frustrated, feeling misunderstood, not understanding why people can't resonate with whatever your true intention is, right? Making you feel crazy or um, making you feel like somehow your voice doesn't matter, whether that's you perceiving that you're being victimized or belittled or demeaned. A lot of this actually originates in our own brain and how our brain is actually giving us subtle subconscious cues that equate to our personality traits and how they actually come off to the world around us. So today's lecture is going to be really helping you get clear on what your personality traits are, how some of these personality traits can be perceived along a spectrum, and how we can offer up some communication for those points in the middle to really help people around you understand who you are, why you're saying what you're saying, and what you actually mean, because a lot of it gets lost in translation. And as we know, we want people to understand us. It's just, it's part of the drive of a human being is that we want to be understood. Rightfully so. But in order for us to feel misunderstood, we allow our subconscious thoughts from childhood where we didn't feel understood as a child, right? We allow these thoughts to dictate all of our behavior. So in a lot of ways, the way we show up as an adult is really dictated by the way we were parented as an early child. So that's what we're going to look into today. We're going to take a look at how you can actually bridge that gap and start to feel understood, start to feel like you have power and that your voice matters. And that we're also making sure to look all the way around the personality. I think it can be easy for some of us to lean into communication style, thought processing, voice tone. Are you an eye roller? Are you a crazy hand person? These are all parts of the puzzle, but they are not the entire picture. It's important that we take it even one step back and we look at how we're giving and receiving love. If we feel like we're not being understood or somebody's not listening to us, even just based on their body language, do we all of a sudden pull back our love and affection for that person? There are a variety of things that go into this matrix. We're going to break them down individually, really focusing on voice tone, body language, thought processing, are you always projecting out into the future irrationally with tons of subjective assumptions, or are you fixated on the past, trying to really influence and dictate what your present reality is? Or are you the kind of talker that when you're really trying to get a point across, you just get incredible verbal diarrhea, where instead of what my approach is that we're going to be talking about. I always say, like, channel Bruce Lee here, be quick and kind, right? We want to be elegant with our words. You lose people when you get too wordy, 
especially if you're going to that like verbal diarrhea where you just can't drive your, your point home. I usually will describe this to people in brake method as like, listen, I, I get what you're trying to do here, but you're not landing the plane. Like, it's like a plane that's coming in for landing the wheels, touchdown for a second. It's like, oh, abort mission, oh, abort mission. On the flip side of this, for the person that you want to be listening to you, it's incredibly frustrating. So we want to remove all these mechanisms by which you frustrate the people around you or you make the people around you feel like you don't trust them. Because often in your lack of not trusting them, they stop trusting you. Often we actually elicit the very behavior that we are trying to avoid. And I'm going to show you exactly how we do that. We're also going to be looking at how you select timing to deliver your communication and the duration of which you communicate. We're gonna be breaking this down step by step. Again, if you are a premium subscriber, you will get access to this in your backend portal. As you know, you are likely listening to this on the podcast version where you've just got my voice. If you're a premium subscriber, you have the video lecture, you have the lecture slides and the workbook exercises that go along with it. So benefits of being a premium subscriber, is that you get to actually do this course along with me every time we present. I've got a lot of great content planned for the next few months here, and I will be in the studio every Thursday, 11 o'clock, hitting the books on this one. So if you are a premium subscriber, that's what you've got in store for you. If you're not, why aren't you? Go to mymoderngood.com, hit that premium subscription. You'll get all the back content that everyone else already has, plus everything that is yet to come. Also remember, and we're going to announce this at the end of today's podcast, we do have a special code for podcast listeners and subscribers for this winter semester of Break School of Sustainable Self-Mastery, available only to my modern good listeners, so stick around toward the end. Let's get into this, this segment, shall we? I'm really excited about it because unlike other things that I teach about that tend to be a bit more... I'll say specific, where it's easier for somebody to raise their hand and be like, I don't really think that applies to me. This applies to everyone. I literally can't think of one person that hasn't had this moment, myself included. And I regard myself as a pretty damn good communicator. That doesn't mean, just because I'm articulate and well-spoken, that these things don't plague me as well. Of course they do, especially in intimate relationships. Because once we start dealing with intimate relationships, the stakes are higher, right? All of our childhood desire to just be loved and cared for and have that affection, right? Like that all goes into like rapid overdrive, right? Which is going to kick all of our subconscious patterning also into overdrive. So where we might be able to white knuckle it and keep our shit together around people that we like kind of like at work or like family members that you know, we're used to them and we've just kind of established a pattern already. When you're trying to date somebody or trying to get love and affection and attention from somebody that you want to love you back, all of a sudden these personality things kick into high gear. And then in place of an intimate partner, put a boss that is interviewing you for a job that you really want. Put a, a friend or a mentor that you really want to mentor you, right? Same thing. Anytime there's this desire to be accepted and loved in return, the stakes get higher. So, Despite our best efforts, most of you feel understood. Maybe not all the time, but at least from time to time. And I want everyone to understand that our personality traits elicit the responses our subconscious craves in order to get us back to this source belief. It's a really important concept because, and I, I will define source belief in just a second, essentially 
what are brain experiences with the highest frequency in early childhood? Now I'm talking about like early, like realistically before two, but really for those of you that have trouble believing that, let's say like two to five. Two to five is what we're looking at for what we in break method call an origin source belief. So the first rule that your brain learns in an effort to survive and hopefully thrive-ish in your environment. To do that, your brain has to understand how everything in the environment works. Like, what is my relationship with mom? What is mom's relationship with dad? Um, how do I fit into this equation? What things do they place on a pedestal that I need to either be or hide if I'm not those things, right? These are all the rules that we learn early on. And our subconscious is constantly driving behind the scenes here, trying to still live out that same rule. So even though the characters have changed, and sure, we're not, for most of us, living every single day around our mom and dad, trying to seek their approval or get their affection, we're doing this in other ways, with friendships, with coworkers, with bosses, with intimate partners, even with kids. So these subconscious rules still apply, and it's important for us to understand how these subconscious rules are deeply affecting our expression of personality because these rules are always meant to get us back to that same conundrum we found ourselves in in childhood which usually is feeling stuck and powerless and misunderstood so for us in order to transform our personality expression we have to first and foremost fully acknowledge the way that we show up in the world like for real real not like yeah I kind of do that or one of my favorites is um, and this just comes from like my experience with break. I know a lot of people can own up to things when it's in a meme where they're like, ha, totally do that. But then when you actually try to have a very real tangible conversation about it, where you extend the hand to get them to take radical personal responsibility, all of a sudden the defensiveness kicks in. So this is not just going to be like a kind of laughing about it and be like, yeah, I totally do that. Instead, this is a real true owning up to these personality traits. Because it's the only way that you're going to be able to break the cycle. If we just kind of dance around it and kind of only half-ass claim it, we can't ever do the work required to make people understand our true intention, accept us, right, instead of reject us, or not leave us when we are afraid of being left. These are all the things that have to, first and foremost, come through our personality. So it's important for you to remember that the only true thing holding you back is your willingness to take responsibility and do the work. That's it. Once you do those things and we can actually address the personality traits that you have and how they are being experienced along a spectrum, then we can actually we can get to work. So at this point, most of you are probably trying to catalog <laughs> your personality along the years. I'm sure there are other there are multiple times that stick out that maybe are already starting to elicit some sort of guilt and shame or anxiety. I know even just thinking about teaching this podcast content on the way here, my brain was like, we thought you might want to know some moments that you've really fucked up, right? So I'm just driving, my brain's kind of like cycling through like Busy's, you know, worst moments in time. Like, why doesn't it just offer you up Busy's greatest hits? That's what I want to know. I want to live in that world where your brain's like, hello, thought you might need a pep talk. You want us to show you your greatest hits of 2016? No. Instead, it is always the opposite. It's like, oh, you're having a good day. Do you want to take a look at your top 10 worst breakups of all time? And you're like, mother F. So while we're on this concept, because I, I do always joke around that your brain is essentially like Alexa gone wrong, right? Despite our best efforts trying to keep our shite together, 
whenever we find that moment where imagine you're a kindergartner taking your first 500 feet on a two-wheeler everyone's clapping for you and then you're like oh my god I'm riding a two-wheeler and then all of a sudden you're like oh my god I'm riding a two-wheeler and the actual acknowledgement of where you are in that very moment kicks in and then you eat shit right this is essentially what what happens in these moments your brain's like we're good, we're good. And then the brain's like, oh, you don't want to be good anymore because this is unknown to you? Let me offer up some thoughts that are going to truly drag you down. So this is unfortunately how the brain works, and this is driven by these subconscious rules that I'm talking about. So these subconscious rules, no matter what, have some effect on your personality and how you come across that leads to people disliking you. And I know that for some of you listening, you even shudder at the thought that somebody might not like you. You go out of your way to be as likely vanilla as possible. Or, hey, maybe you're such a good chameleon that you turn into whatever ice cream flavor you think that person wants you to be, i.e. people-pleasing or holding it all together. But the truth is, even if you're that person, that person probably hates you because you have no idea who you are or because you're constantly absorbing or becoming people around you, right? So even if you're doing your best to play the role of I'll be whatever you want me to be, you're still going to piss people off. So it's important as we dig into this to remember that when you are doing it right, when you're really, truly owning your personality, stepping fully, wholeheartedly into yourself, people are going to hate you. And if you're not a premium subscriber, you can't see the screen right now, but I've got a huge picture of Polly D from the Jersey Shore it says if nobody hates you you're doing something wrong take it from Polly D okay you guys it's important to be hated because when we are hated we now have the evidence to to actually show us that we are showing up a hundred percent of something if you're showing up 20% of this or 30% of this or you're just kind of being wishy-washy it's hard for people to get a read on you. You're probably gonna feel lonely and not that close to that many people. You might have lots of acquaintances or find yourself immersed in lots of roles in a group, but you're not gonna be that person that has deep, true connections because those deep, true connections require on the other side of that spectrum, right? If somebody really hates you, they require that somebody also really fucking loves you. That's what brings that deep connection. So if you're always stuck in that 20, 30% in the middle, the people that will hate you are the people that don't really have much interaction with you and hate that you're always waffling in your identity. But if you can truly step all the way into yourself and, and own who you are and own your thoughts and own your behavior without this subconscious fear of somehow disrupting your childhood environment and potentially getting your parents to not like you or your school or your family or religion to reject you, then we can really step into this role where people can actually raise their hand and be like, yes, you're my kind of person. I want to be your friend, or you're my kind of gal or girl or guy or whatever you define yourself as, I want to date you. Because this same concept transfers into the dating pool. This is not something that is just specific to friendships. If you are this kind of people pleaser, I'll be whoever you want me to be, like vanilla or whatever flavor I can change myself, that's really hard for a guy to develop a genuine connection with you too, or a girl to develop a genuine connection with you too if you're a man you need to be clear on who you are. And to be clear on who you are, you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that sooner or later, someone's gonna hate you. Just deal with it, it's all good. Lots of people hate me, but what I can tell you is far, far more love me because they know who I am and what I stand for. And I'm okay with that, I'm okay with people hating me. 
because the sooner we can get comfortable with this concept, the sooner we can actually build the bonds that we need in this life to feel truly connected. So if you are watching this along with me, you can see that I've got some pretty funny memes up right now about people-pleasing. And it's important for you to remember that people-pleasing is a socially patterned behavior that sets in early childhood, right? And it usually comes from feeling like there's some sort of hoops that you have to jump through or some way you have to modify your personality or communication style to be accepted or loved by, again, your, your family, mom, dad, religion, your school, your culture, whatever that is. But for most of you, you carry this on in subtle ways throughout your whole life. Maybe even in your mind, redefining it as like being a good person or moral standards, right? These are not necessarily true. And the longer we allow ourselves to be pressured into this sort of social conformity, the more we compartmentalize our personality and kind of like keep ourselves trapped in a box. And that box is always to some degree, whether we've tuned it out or not, going to be screaming for self-expression. Meanwhile, we're sitting there like trying to sit on top of it like we're trying to crunch down a suitcase full of clothes and be like, nothing to see here, move along. So if you're not watching, you're listening, I will read these memes to you so that we can all have a good laugh. So there's Kevin Bacon, he's in a room and he's looking at all these different masks and it says, trying to decide which personality you'll assume before the big night on the town, right? This is this has like absolute disaster written all over it in the dating pool. If you're like, hmm, who should I be tonight? Instead of, let's go get this. Like, I'm, I'm me, I'm feeling confident, I'm ready to do this, I trust myself, right? Those are the things that get you on the date and then get you, you know, the, the official status, if you will. Eventually engaged, eventually married, hey, whatever, whatever sort of, commitment journey you have in your head is what is desirable for dating. Truly owning your personality and showing up as yourself and continuing to be yourself, that's what gets this process going. And I think I actually have this episode planned for two weeks from now, which is so you're not the marrying type. Let me tell you why. This is one part of the puzzle there. If you're the person where no matter what, you, you date the person, you end up in a relationship with, for the, them with, the, with them for a long time, and you're the person where as soon as you guys break up, the next person's always the one. I can tell you exactly why that is. You just have to tune in two weeks from now. So, other meme here is a woman, and it's probably a poster of some kind, and one of, I think it's the left eye is like ripped out because there's like another person coming out behind the eye and it says when you're on a first date and accidentally let some of your real personality slip out. Not ideal, right? We don't, this whole concept that we need to somehow perfectly package ourselves and pitch ourselves on a date instead of being ourselves is exactly what gets you probably all fucked up in the dating game, honestly. I've never particularly had problems getting people to want to date me, and that's likely because, and I'm talking like early, old school B, because I show up as myself, and I don't have confidence issues. So those are obviously steps that we're going to be addressing at the end of this episode, because I do believe that confidence is something that can be created and cultivated, even if it wasn't nurtured as a child. I'm lucky that that was actually nurtured for me as a child, among a variety of other not-so-good things, but I will be talking briefly about that so that we can hopefully get you to a place where you stop 
people-pleasing or compartmentalizing or hiding parts of your personality. I'll also take this moment to give you guys another analogy. I think analogies help a lot of people drive these points home. So when I was giving a, a lecture at some event or giving like a speech at some event a few weeks ago, I was trying to explain how this sort of like our personality and how we present in relationships is essentially like one of those lunch boxes that has all the different compartments, kind of like a Japanese bento box. And, you know, maybe you have certain sections that are like fruit and salad and healthy things, but then in the other ones, you've got like Reese's peanut butter cups and that marshmallow fluff shit, and then maybe like Ritz crackers. Often when we go out there, we try to figure out what that person will like out of our lunchbox. So maybe we don't feel like we're necessarily being inauthentic or not ourselves. Because, like, technically it's in there. But then we'll hide <laughs> the other parts that we're like, but these aren't going to go over well. So you show them only parts of your lunchbox instead of showing them the whole lunchbox. Even though they're there and they are still true, you are the totality of your lunchbox not just whatever parts you decide to show to that person. And sooner or later, they're going to see your lunchbox. Let me remind you that one more time. You cannot hide your lunchbox. You might go, I don't know, six to nine months without being able to show your lunchbox, but eventually it's going to seep out, just like it does on this beam. And that's when you start to usually have relationship problems. And those relationship problems could easily be avoided if you just showed your whole damn lunchbox in the beginning. Okay, but the reason you're not comes from the subconscious programming that we are going to address. So the way we actually express this personality and all of the traits that come with it is 100% a calculation of our subconscious beliefs and rules that we created from childhood. So I give some examples here on the lecture slides. If you were the kind of child that tried to please your parents to feel accepted or loved, you probably seek out the same sorts of things now, right? Like some sort of external validation seeking or measurement to make sure that you're doing a good job and that you're going to be loved, right? Like, honey, was that good? Is this clean enough? Did I do this right? Or in other ways, you know, needing to have sexual attention or needing to have attention from people on social media, right? All these things are to make sure that you are you are what you think you are. You feel good enough or sexy enough or pretty enough or loved. If you tried to hold it all together when you were a little kid, which is essentially going to equate to preemptively assessing your environment to see who's going to potentially let you down, who's not trustworthy, who's going to fuck you over so that you can get one step ahead of that and do all of those things for them so that you feel like you're safe, that probably creates a lot of drama and chaos in your day-to-day -day life. Because on the flip side of that, when we're constantly subconsciously ex assessing our environment to see who's trustworthy, who's capable of doing what they say they're going to do, we're also behind the scenes subjectively labeling that environment and we're taking jobs and tasks away from people all the time. Which, if they on the other side feel like they're not enough or feel like they're dealing with worthiness issues, they're now not going to trust you because they're going to just feel like you trample them all the time. This is something that I know I've personally experienced on the side of taking away of jobs and duties and responsibilities. And 100% when I was a little kid, I absolutely grew up with a belief that I had to hold it all together and that human beings in general were not trustworthy. So these are things that you're going to have to reprogram in order to fully express your personality in a way that goes well with people instead of makes them feel like you're a raging lunatic and asshole, which I've had happen to me as well before I started to get down and dirty with this stuff. Did you learn that you had to constantly assess for danger or chaos? Which, 
the one previous to this, this is assessing roles and responsibilities and who's going to follow through and show up versus this one is who is unsafe and that there is somehow lurking behind every single corner actual danger and disaster, right? So they're, they're different. One is not trusting people and this one is not trusting anything outside of yourself. Literally like chaos and danger could be lurking around every single corner. This is going to lead you to be real bad at having any sort of trust in the world around you. And not that I'm going to get spiritual here, because it's not the time for that, but this is going to, in some ways, translate to almost this existential question of feeling like the universe or God or whatever is out to get you. Like, no matter what you do, everything just goes to shit, right? This is going to be something where you're just, there's a part of your brain that is always operating in chicken little mode. We have to get you out of this place so that the people around you actually feel calm enough to want to hang out with you. If you're in this place through things like entrainment, your, your heart rate, your breathing pattern, if you're in chicken little mode, those things are going to be elevated. You're probably in some sort of off and on sympathetic nervous system response. You're going to kick the people around you into the same thing and they're probably not going to be around you because your energy is going to make them feel crazy pants but don't worry, we can fix it. So I want to describe to you, I refer to it as the infinicycle of doom. So I have, if you're watching the premium version, uh, an infinity symbol that shows essentially the path by which our brain gets triggered, our brain then tells our personality what to do and how what we choose to do with our personality triggers the people around us to put us back into this subconscious rule. So I'll read kind of around the outside. So remember, the source belief in our definition is going to be whatever that point of origin rule is that your brain learned as a child to survive and adapt to the environment. Once that source belief is activated and with it the emotional matrix that comes with it, we then start to jump to conclusions and focus on what outside of our environment is going to match up with those rules we learned as a child. And then in this case, because we're already in this jumping to conclusions, making assumptions, we often will preemptively react to somebody's reaction, even if it hasn't yet happened. And this might just be on the subtextual level or the body language level. The words might not be coming out yet, but I'm sure many of you can attest to having the worry and trying to make your words say something else, but the person is actually reacting to your body language and not even listening to your words because this is actually how most people engage. If they have a previous relationship with you, they're much more likely to lean heavy into assumptions or your body language and not just listen to your words. Because um, you might be trying to force the words out, but your body language reads something very different because of the cycle we're talking about. So once you're preemptively reacting to somebody else's reaction, then when that person is really reading your body language instead of your words, we then get the opportunity to feel misread or judged or to feel victimized in some way which puts us back into our emotional state that, again, elicits the source belief activation and then the body language and external facade that comes with it. So we have to remember that all of these things happen in rapid succession, and unfortunately, which is why I call it the infinicycle of doom, there's no stopping point because once you get to that point where you feel misunderstood or rejected or ignored, you're right back into the emotional state that set the stage for the rule in the first place. So your brain's like, check, we did it. We know how to do this. 
Because the brain learns rules based on our early childhood environment when we have no control or power. And for our brain, repetition and knowing what comes next is safety. So even if repetition and knowing what comes next means your life sucks and is chaotic and filled with depression and sadness and anxiety, your brain is still equating that with safety because it safety means repetition. It needs to know that A plus B equals C, period. Even if A plus B equals C makes your life a like actual living hell, your brain will keep running the script because it knows what to expect. And if you get a chance to take a look at these lecture slides, you will see how this all functions. So in order for us to dig deep in assessing our personality traits, it's important that we acknowledge these four aspects. So when we're trying to dig in and really own up to who we are and how we come across, it's really important to catch yourself being aspirational instead of honest. A lot of people, and I actually in my course make people write these things down, when you read half of these, you're always like, oh, I'm going to hand this back to you. This is bullshit. Um, we don't want to be aspirational. I We don't just want to write down the things that like we wish we were or you know we're like kind of working on but not really. We want to write down the things that we are, 100% are, so that we can address those things. Once we start to think about adjectives that describe our personality or ways that our personality comes across, it's important that we try not to reuse adjectives or try to like get too stuck in one rut and go into fear about digging into this because the only thing that you have to lose <laughs> is your lack of responsibility. Because until you do this work, let's just say that you don't know better, once you actually know how your personality is coming across in a way that is jarring to the world around you and blocking you from living the life that you want to live, once you know these things, you're going to have more responsibility to get that out there and actually get to work. So that's the only thing you have to lose is now you're going to actually have to take some responsibility. Um, a lot of people I also see get kind of stuck in more physical descriptors or things that have to do more with um, like external descriptors. It's better that we really focus on the categories that we're going to go into in just a, se a second. And then number four, as we dig into this, again, as I said, someone hates you and a lot of you will start to even just start to break down thinking about somebody hating you, but it's really important that we get in here, get our, roll up our sleeves, get into the muck and acknowledge the truth. And it is important as we go through this stuff to remember that all of our personality traits get perceived along the spectrum. And often when we're looking at this spectrum, it's very frequent that the person that you could say hates you the most right now and one person loved you the most. So that sort of amplified engagement with you is what's responsible for it going like full empty to full full um, instead of being somewhere in the middle wishy-washy. And a lot of these adjectives are really describing the same personality trait, right? So somebody could see honesty as cruelty. Somebody could see sarcasm as humor. Somebody could see sarcasm as truth, right? She's a really truthful person. Oh, she's a really sarcastic person. She's really intelligent. She's really cold and closed off, right? They could be describing the same exact thing, but from different perspectives, especially based on that person's relationship and engagement amplitude with you. So one of the things that we are going to focus on is making sure that we're offering up that communication in between. If we know what our intention is, and we know that typically we tend to be seen one way that doesn't match our reality or our intention, 
often we can just offer up some extra communication for the in-between. So I'll use this example. When I would travel a lot to do either teaching workshops or public speaking, I would walk into the room and I kind of just for myself, it's important for me to keep my energy close to myself in the beginning because I expend so much energy when I'm teaching or lecturing. So I would kind of walk into the room guarded more so that I could make sure that I maintain my energy for the whole group so that I could give and give and give equally to everybody. But early on in my career, I wasn't really sure how to properly word this. So I'd kind of walk in, hang off to the side, and then, you know, I think probably my body language at that time would have read as that I was somehow antisocial or, or just not wanting to engage with other people. When the reality was I wanted to make sure I could evenly give my energy to every single person that paid to be there. So what I realized over time is that the, the way to solve this was for me to go into the, the studio or the building or whatever I was. Because people, no matter what, they always come up like, hey, hi, I'm so-and-so, like, can I give you a hug? Can we take a selfie? So because I would get this feedback, we're like, oh, busy's a bitch, busy's um, antisocial, whatever it is, right? Which would be completely conflicting with everybody else at the end of the lecture that maybe didn't come in the beginning. They're like, oh my God, she's so animated, blah, blah, blah. So then I realized that to bridge this gap, when I would first get there, if somebody would come up to me like that, I'd be like, hey, I'm so excited to meet you. I kind of have a policy that I try to keep my energy really tight um, right before I go on stage, but afterwards I'm gonna make sure to connect with every single person, give you a hug, you'll have plenty of time at the end, I'm so glad that you're here, I'm just gonna be hanging over here, but I'm so glad you're here. Right, so just taking that, you know, maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds to bridge that communication gap to the people around me, all of a sudden they were like, oh, I get it. Because maybe my body language was reading like I was an asshole. Probably was, I have resting bitch face, right? Those of you that are listening that have RBF, you know what I'm talking about. So sometimes we just need to offer that middle way of actually communicating the intention, especially if we know that it tends to not read in our face or on our body language. Um, let's take a look at people that have a deep-seated fear of abandonment or rejection. Um, if you are watching, you can see this funny meme. It's a dog whose head has burst through a door, and it said, I thought you were leaving forever, so I panicked, right? This is to some extent, me, and especially what I'm about to read. So if you are subconsciously resigned to people leaving and being untrustworthy, you probably assume the worst and panic, right? When we talk about that infinite cycle of doom, that sort of faulty assumption process and jumping to conclusions is already going to influence your body language and behavior. So even if your words are like, hey, honey, see you later, they're going to be like, you look like you're freaking out right now. Or I don't trust you because... The number one way to get somebody to not trust you, and again, they're not going to consciously be aware of this, the number one way to get those people to not trust you is for your body language and your voice tone, or even just your energy, to not match your words. When those things don't match, you will read as inauthentic and unsafe and untrustworthy, period, full stop. So in this effort that we're trying to bring to the forefront here, it's important that over time, our goal is to try to merge our body language, voice, and all these things with our actual words. In the beginning, we might have to kind of fake it till we make it a little bit, until we get ourselves out of this pattern, but it's important to remember that over time, our goal is to actually merge these things. Um, but to merge them, you're going to have to rewire these core beliefs. So here, in the process 
of dealing with these fear of abandonment messages or fear of rejection messages, you usually end up stressing the other person out or, right, because you stress them out because you're constantly subconsciously worried that they're going to reject you or leave you. Or your brain has built a rule that you just stay so unattached that they can't ever actually leave you. Either way, this makes for an incredibly chaotic personality expression. It needs to be addressed. All right, let's shift into taking a look at each specific area in which our, our personality is expressed. And let's talk about how some of these personality traits or, or expression elements end up eliciting the very behavior that we're actually trying to avoid. So everything, if you're watching the premium content, everything in red, this is going to be a no-no. This is going to be something that will seriously lead you down a road of doom. And then green is a, a happy alternative or a middle ground to try to get you somewhere positive. So let's take a look at body language first. Usually when we see somebody that has been previously victimized and tends toward anger, right, where they're just constantly wanting to like protect themselves and stand up for themselves, we see that they might try to tower over somebody, right? So let's say you're having a conversation, you actually subconsciously try to like elevate yourself or try to look down on somebody. On the flip side of this, if you're the kind of person that is addicted to feeling victimized and powerless, you might also cower and kind of lower your body language compared to somebody else. One of the things we want to do here to shift this is to try to stay grounded in your body position and always try to remain steady at equal eye level. Obviously, that's going to have to adjust for the size of the person, but it will go a long way. If you are cowering or trying to overpower somebody with your body position, it's going to immediately shift the cycle into something chaotic. In terms of body language, if you find yourself being tense or stiff or kind of like posturing with your shoulders, no matter what, it's going to kick the person into a cycle that you probably don't want. And I usually use the example and break method of all communication patterns like a ping pong match. If you try to constantly ace somebody on your serve and just like try to overpower them, they're constantly going to just feel like a failure on the other side, right? And if we can find a way to change how we are actually volleying the ball, so it's something that we can both be interacting with each other and just instead of like trying to like spike it or ace them, be like, yeah, that's right. Um, then we can actually shift the communication pattern into a place that can be much more positive. So instead of being tense or stiff, try softening your shoulders, be aware of your stance, try to make sure that your body is actually open toward them, you're not turning away. In the same vein, if you're the kind of person that constantly has like crossed arms and your shoulders back, try to open up your arms. Try to bring your heart toward their heart, as cheesy as that sounds, it works. Try to match your heart up with their heart, especially if you are taking the time to try to stay calm and relaxed while you're communicating. Through entrainment, your heartbeat will actually start to match with their heartbeat if you can remain calm. If you're an eye roller, what you doing? Listen, your brain is cueing you to eye roll because you already feel, your brain is already like, we know where this is going. They're going to reject you. They're going to say all these things about you and they're blah, 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 right? The eye rolling is the number one way to get them to reject you. Try instead to keep your gaze focused on them. And one thing that's important to remember here, we don't want you like staring at them, like fixed eyes looking like a crazy person, but don't be rolling your eyes, don't be prejudging statements because if you're eye rolling, guaranteed, if you think they're gonna reject you now that you've eye rolled, it's certainly going to happen. Now it's just signed, sealed, delivered. 
um, no pacing or shaking, right? A lot of people here, once this emotional cycle kicks in and they're being reactive and they're fearful that they're somehow going to get abandoned or rejected or that people are untrustworthy or they're not going to actually hear or respect the things they have to say, we start to either pace or shake. If you can try to stand still, breathe, and slow your heart rate and actually be a little bit more logical about how you're going about this communication, you're going to get a better end result. Pacing and shaking no matter what is going to, again, make the person perceive that you are somehow untrustworthy or even just in the simplest context, if the brain and eyes then have to like track you back and forth, because the brain no matter what is always trying to keep you safe. If you're adding on that extra step, no matter what, it's going to increase their stress level and it's going to be really challenging for them to really fully hear you. So stand still, or at least stand more still, breathe and do your best to try to slow your heart rate. If you are a crazy hand gesture person, wildly flailing your arms and your proximity of your hands is always close to the person's face, you're going you're gonna to actually elicit a lot of anger, I would bet. Um, anger, probably also some fear, right? Some people, this part of their culture, right? Like I was raised as a Jew in New York, like lots of hands and always very confusing between the Italians and the Jews, right? They're almost exactly the same except they're different. But lots of like hands, very, very broad with the hand gestures. This can be really distracting and it can actually make it so that somebody can't listen to you or they're so busy watching this that all of a sudden it's like, uh... I don't, I, I forgot what you just said. So this person can be like, why are you not listening to me? And it's like, well, you're fucking distracting me with your hands, man. So try to be mindful of your arms, be mindful of your hand proximity close to their face, and just try your best to keep your hand gestures to a minimum. I say this as I'm like this with my hands, but it can be something that triggers this process in a way that, again, is not in line with your intention. Let's take a look at voice tone. Yelling, patronizing, belittling, clearly these things are not going to be ideal. And even in line with this, if you are a loud talker, it's very easy, and this is I am a loud talker, this can be something that can be misread by the people around you as anger, aggression, right, domination. When for you, you're like, I'm just really passionate. Like, okay, let's try to find that middle ground, because most of the answers here are going to be about finding the middle ground. Patronizing or belittling, be aware of your word choices. Be aware of how you're actually setting up the sentence, right? Some of us actually, especially in intimate relationships, it's really easy for us to get patronizing or belittling really quick, especially if we feel like they've done it to us. It's like subconsciously we're totally retaliating even though we don't realize that we're trying to retaliate consciously. So instead of these things, let's try to have a calm, clear voice tone. And I say here, use pure language. Whoever, like, there are a variety of different ways to view yourself as a peer with the person that you're interacting with. Like, what are the things you have in common and how can you try to shift your language to that peer place? If you are a fast, jumpier, inconsistent voice tone person where it's like, sometimes you're really loud and the person's like, oh my god, and then other times they're like, what? I didn't hear you. Or you're just constantly jumping around all these different thoughts. Again, it's going to make the person probably really frustrated, not be able to follow your train of thought, and to not be able to really listen to you and absorb what you're trying to say. If you're trying to get across a clear point, but you're being jumpy and inconsistent about it, it's not going to happen. So 
a good way to try to transition this is to try to be evenly paced. And remember, I use that Bruce Lee, try to be quick and kind. I always think it's important if you're trying to have a really serious, important conversation, how can you effectively summarize the key points of what you're trying to say so that you can make it concise and potent? Sometimes we get ourselves so wound up in our own words and our own story that as we're trying to communicate our deep thoughts and desires to somebody else, it's falling flat because we've circled and circled and circled without touching down on the runway. We need to be able to create this concise potency where our words are are pared down to a place where they're extra powerful and we make sure that we're always delivering it with some aspect of kindness. Even things that need to be delivered that are potentially harsh or raw or potentially hurtful, there is still a way to sprinkle kindness, even if it's kindness with intent or kindness with energy. It is a key piece. If you find yourself being overly quiet or withdrawn, this can be an absolute nightmare for somebody trying to relate to you. If that person is constantly feeling like they have to try to pull things out of you or to try to dance around things because they can't get you to answer or when you do answer, they're like, what? I didn't hear you. What? I didn't hear you. Can you say that again? Right? If you're a quiet talker, the last thing you want is to have to say that thing 10 times and yet that's exactly what your brain's cueing you to do. So choose a volume that's easy to understand Try to do your best to project without having to elicit from that other person requests for you to repeat yourself. Because the more they have to ask you to repeat yourself, the more you're having to do the very thing that you don't want to do repetitively. So you're saving yourself time and you're saving both people frustration by just saying it at an audible volume the first time, clearly. Another thing that can be absolutely nightmarish is being a slow talker or saying very few words. Slow talkers, I understand that some people desire to get their, their point across or perhaps their information processing or <laughs> buffering, like your buffering face where it's like every other word comes like this and you're like, are you buffering right now? But it's because you're trying to information process. It's okay to say something to the effect of, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts, give me one second, instead of getting out one word at a time. It's going to drive that person insane. So try here to focus on summary statements, relevant information and feelings. Don't be long-winded or slow about it as much as you possibly can. Um, really, this goes in with the same thing. If you're the kind of person that's like short, abrupt, and annoyed, right? We always are going to see two sides of the spectrum, right? You can be too long and too long-winded, or you can be too short and abrupt, where it's like your words are like, very jump cutty and never really land and are usually just meant to kind of like judo chop but not really have a meaningful conversation. So try to use simple and meaningful word choices here and I say here don't use word salad which is when you're just throwing a bunch of big words together and the other person's like I'm fucking confused and I have no idea what you mean and you don't really know what you mean either you're just trying to make it sound good. Don't do that. Um, deflecting and being condescending. Deflecting with your voice tone can be really awful and it's a surefire way to push the conversation cycle into a detrimental pathway. So do your best to not be deflective with what you're saying. Do your best to not be condescending. Again, that goes back to the kind of patronizing and belittling. And in this way, be sure not to parentify with your tone. It can be really easy for us to 
turn into a parent with how we're talking to somebody that really is a peer or somebody that we do respect. And usually this is fueled by months and or years of bottled up feelings of resentment so that every single time we get a chance to talk to them, it's like we flick this little resentment unlock switch and all of a sudden all of the years of fuel now come out in our voice tone and we're now treating them with disrespect and parentifying. That's not something we want to be doing. Make sure that you're instead taking radical personal responsibility with your voice tone, really own your words and get to the point and stay consistent. The consistency here is going to be everything. We don't want you to be shaky, hard to understand, using lots of filler words. That's going to make for a, a really chaotic communication cycle. Let's shift to thought process. This is instead of what's coming out of your mouth or what is being represented in your physicality, this is what is actually going on up in your head, either before or during all of these things are actually taking place. Are you fixated on the past? Right? A lot of us, once we are starting to relate to somebody else, let's say you're going for a job that you really, really want and you're going to the interview, but let's say you've had interviews go bad or like you thought that you were going to get the job and you got all excited for it and then they picked another candidate, it's obvious that your brain will likely try to serve you up all these moments that it didn't work out right when you're trying to perform right? Because your brain is trying to kick you back to this early childhood subconscious message. So if you're the kind of person where your brain is kicking you back to thoughts about the past, judo chop those ideas, hit the delete button. If these are thoughts that you are not in alignment with what you're trying to do, if you're trying to succeed in this job interview, these thoughts of failure or when they went wrong, not helpful right now, man. Hit the delete button. Maybe that means going back to your breath. Maybe that means really like feeling your butt in the seat of your car and trying to stay present. On the flip side, don't go projecting out into the future about things that you don't know. You're not God. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. So if you find yourself projecting out all these what-if scenarios, that's equally robbing you of energy that should be spent in the present moment. So make sure that we're really keeping that energy and thought processing focused on the present. We don't want your thought process also scattered and jumping around. So if you're trying to stay focused and then your brain's like, and you have all these to-do items and then also you have to do this. And like, by the way, did you know that Christmas is in three months? This is what I call chaotic prioritization, where it's like while you're trying to focus on something, your brain gives you a list of like at least six things that are not timely, not important, and probably at odds with what you're trying to achieve. So stay focused, stay focused on one thought, stay focused on one thought at a time or some sort of logical sequence of events instead of letting your brain just kind of jump around and go squirrel, 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 squirrel. Also, if we're talking about thought process in the context of listening, truly make sure you are listening and not hearing one word and then letting your brain go back to something in the past and then scattering a bunch of memories about that word so that when they ask you a question, you realize Fuck, I was just totally checked out for the last five minutes. Focus on one point at a time here. This one's an interesting one because I realize that on one hand, I'm teaching you how to plan and strategize, and yet I'm simultaneously telling you that planning and strategizing are perfect ways to get somebody to not trust you. So let me dig into this one for a moment. What I mean is in the work that I'm trying to get you guys to prioritize now, I want you to plan and strategize how your personality comes off in a way that is not vibing with where you're trying to go in your life and where you can potentially do some work, offer up some more communication, soften some ways, maybe ground into your power a little bit more, show up differently, be more clear and concise. 
I'm telling you to do this preemptive to going out into your world, right? Like spend some real time on this. Maybe it takes a few weeks. Maybe it's like a six month journey where you're really digging into this and trying to be incredibly aware and observational about how you're living your life. I'm not telling you to, in the moment, sit there like, you know, whatever that character is from The Simpsons, it's like always plotting. When you're the kind of person where in a conversation you're planning, strategizing, or plotting, and I mean this in a manipulative way, that is not going to resonate with the other person. So if every time they say something, you're trying to plan some argument that's like, this to this to this, I'm going to show you, like, yeah, you, you get your point across, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-two punch you right after this. That's what I'm talking about, is kind of showing that planning, strategizing uh, methodology in the moment. Those things do not resonate well with somebody else, right? Because they're not, it's not being authentic. We want you to be honest and authentic and vulnerable in the moment. So the planning and strategizing that I'm offering up to you is to be done in a personal development, strategizing kind of way overall throughout your life, not minute to minute, right? Like once we actually inquire properly about these things, we can transform these personality traits and then we just become more aware of these things in the moment. But planning and strategizing, i.e. being manipulative, not where we want to be. We want to be in that honest, authentic, and vulnerable state. If your thought process is constantly replaying things, this is another thing we don't want because it's going to make you unable to listen and effectively communicate with the person. So if your thought your thoughts are constantly replaying other times that this person has had a fight with you about this, it's not going to make you react to how they're reacting to you in the present moment. You're going to be more reacting subconsciously to all the ways that they've treated you in the past. Try to, again, stay present, be straightforward, quick and kind, and really here taking radical personal responsibility and reflecting back their minute-to-minute concern so it shows that you're listening and engaging with them instead of replaying things, assigning blame and responsibility from the past, projecting to the future. We're going to have a lot better overall result. Let's take a look at timing. And here we're talking about timing. Sorry, taking a sip of my coffee. We're talking about timing in how you choose to engage with somebody. Maybe it's just physically or timing about choosing to have an important conversation or even just timing with how you're just like kind of being cordial and talking to somebody. I'll give you this example. A lot of people that have a deep-seated fear of rejection, one of their biggest ways that they get to experience that rejection all the time is that their timing is shit and they often have a bunch of issues with tact where it's like socially they're not really sure of where they're in is subconsciously so they end up going in at the wrong time so that all of a sudden they can get snapped out and they're like oh my god see I knew I was gonna get rejected but some of it is a timing issue so let's look at timing in this first context which is manipulative timing or strategic this is where you essentially make the other person feel like you're ambushing them where it's like really the topic of the conversation needed to be had like weeks ago but you strategically wanted to wait for this one moment like after they got their paycheck because you think they're gonna be more receptive to it they're not because it's going to feel like an ambush and it's gonna be like why the fuck didn't you say something two weeks ago right that's not gonna go well so we want to make sure that we're having these conversations in the moment when they're authentic instead of like holding on planning strategizing and then like dropping a bomb on them another thing that's important to remember when we look at timing don't try to have a difficult conversation when you know you have like 10 minutes, okay? I see people do this all the time. It's like you try to open up this huge wound and have this massive conversation when that person's about to go to work and it's like, thanks, you've just ruined my day. 
right? So a lot of this stuff is finding that balance. It's like, how can you be in the moment and authentic without being manipulative in the timing? Some of these are just like, they're going to be relevant to whatever that specific situation is. Perhaps bringing up an intense conversation five minutes before that person's about to leave for work is not the right thing to do. But that doesn't mean that on the flip side, waiting three weeks to have that conversation is the right thing to do. So you can see we're in the moment and authentic and trying to have a difficult conversation in a short period of time. Sometimes there's a compromise that needs to be had. Maybe that is as soon as they get back from work, like the next opportunity you have that has some sort of time available is the authentic time, right? So this is a balancing act. Um, also here it's important to have realistic expectations for the time frame. A lot of these conversations, if you're the kind of person that just likes to get things over with, you're probably misjudging how long this conversation is going to take. And a lot of people like to feel like there's some sort of closure or end point to the conversation. So this is a big thing. You don't just want to like open up the wound and be like, I'm done having this conversation. A lot of people will need some sort of closure or clear end point. So be realistic in how you are expecting that to be carried out. Um, timing. Be really mindful of opening up stuff like this right before long trips or separation. A lot of people will do this. It's like if you have fear of abandonment issues when that person's leaving, it's really tempting for you to like rip open a big wound right before they leave so that you can be like, yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to abandon you too. Um, that's not the right thing to do, squad. We're better than that. So let's make sure that we're not, um, we're not waiting and holding on to this information to use it as a punishment if that person's going to leave or they have to go to work or have to go on some sort of long trip. We want to, again, in the moment, authentic. Timing, we don't want to be doing this in front of loved ones, if at all possible, right? And by this, I mean usually like kids, maybe best friends, maybe colleagues, right? It's important to be mindful of your audience and who's around because we don't want to be intentionally timing this in a way that will add embarrassment or drama into the mix. And this is really, part of your brain will do this as a way to kind of find an intentional, an intentional vulnerability moment. We don't want to do this. This isn't a kind thing to do. We want to be mindful of our audience here. Okay, let's take a look at duration. So let's talk about duration like while the interaction is happening. Some of you are of the mindset you just want to get it over with or have it end as quickly as possible. It's important to remember that staying present in the conversation is usually of high value. And we want to stay present in the conversation so long as it remains productive and somehow forward moving. If we're just, I hate this phrase, but if we're just kind of like beating a dead horse, perhaps that is not the time. So here I have on the worksheet, it's okay to agree to end temporarily if the duration exceeds productivity, right? So this is kind of might be like that agree to disagree, like, okay, we're not getting anywhere productive. Love you. Let's come back to this tomorrow. Um, because sometimes you reach a duration where it's no longer productive. So we don't want to be dragging it on forever, beating a dead horse. And on the flip side, not every single conversation is going to have that definitive endpoint. We're not always going to agree. Sometimes we're going to end the conversation and be like, all right, we're on two totally different sides of this, but love you anyways. And for some of us that have deep-seated rejection issues or abandonment issues, we might, or even control issues, we might feel the need to have that person like co-sign our way or our thought process because that's the only way we feel safe. It's going to be really important that we learn to navigate out of this place because we are going to need to learn how to feel safe without that person co-signing our version of reality. That is a childish 
perception that we have to somehow, that person has to mirror back our belief or only agree with our belief for us to be safe. We can be safe while we're a lonely island of belief. Trust me, I've done it before. So we want to make sure to allow for what I call temporary non-agreement. So it's like, if you guys are on two different sides of an issue, it's okay for you guys to be on two different sides of an issue so long as you can respect each other about that. But let's shift gears to listening because listening and talking, right, and communication go hand in hand. And listening is something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily pay attention to. And when we talk about the things that are involved in listening that go bad, they're usually accompanied with some of the body language things we've already gone through, which are also not ideal. So we don't want you to be talking over someone or framing your response while passively listening. So if you're the person that's always trying to come up with your next thought while they're talking, that's not going to read kindly to the person that you're engaging with, right? Stay present, listen to their words. Some of this is, if you're the kind of person where you always want to strive for perfection, you just want to get it right, otherwise like someone's going to reject you or abandon you, you might be trying so hard to get it right that you're trying to listen to them, but you're also trying to not get rejected. So you end up saying something that's not matching what was just asked of you because you were trying to be perfect. And then in the effort to be perfect, you actually completely fucked yourself. And now you are getting rejected because you didn't do it right or you didn't follow directions. So it's important here to be full quiet, right? Like 100% quiet. Eye contact during the other person's talking. Um, we don't want you to be passively listening, just trying to work on what you're going to say next. Um, in the same way, be mindful of distracted listening. If you're constantly looking around at the phone or looking around at other people or not making eye contact, that is going to make the other person feel like you're not listening. You should be staying focused on the person, their concerns, and not on a phone or a distraction item. Do be mindful about reframing your statements in a patronizing way. A lot of people will try to be like, I think you're saying that's not ideal, right? We want to be acknowledging their words without reframing it like a therapist. So being like, I think you said, or to me it sounds like you're saying, what I suggest you do is to do this instead. And I give you these little like exercises to do. I understand that makes you feel X, or I understand that my X makes you feel Y. And then you can clarify your intention or the, or the area where your two realities are not aligned. Instead of it being like, I'm hearing you say... Be really mindful of reframing your statements this way because it is important for that person to understand that you're listening and that you're taking ownership for those the things that they're saying even if you don't necessarily agree. So take ownership, I hear you, this is what I think we're having the issue on. Like this is where I think things are not connecting instead of saying it passive aggressively. That's not going to work. Um, let's talk people and places. This one's important. Um, in that same way where subconsciously you might try to seek out a moment where that person feels like vulnerable or weak so that you can like have the upper hand, right? This kind of is in line with that. So be mindful if you're trying to get a clear point across, choosing a crowded place that might make rejection or shame set in for that person is probably not ideal. Make sure you're choosing a place where both parties feel safe and secure if at all possible. If this is like an important high level desired conversation. Um, around friends or loved ones that might lead to shame or embarrassment. Ideally, if you're having these really important high-level conversations, good to have them in a private or quiet place. Um, don't try to intentionally trigger the other person. And I would say a lot of you consciously don't realize you're doing this, but once you really dig into some of this work, you can see like, oh, I totally see where I actually am consciously hitting that button. We even, you know, in, in everyday speak, we say don't push that person's buttons. 
subconsciously we know how to push people's buttons, especially if we've been in a relationship with them for a long time. It's important for us to have tact and be aware of a person's triggers. So again, we make our language and our interaction specific to the way that we relate to that person. I find that it's really interesting how many people have a hard time where it's like there's this fine line. We don't want you to be a chameleon where you don't know who you are and just kind of like a little bit of everybody and you're just kind of wishy-washy. But at the same time, your personality doesn't always have to be exactly exhibited one way, right? It's okay for us to be malleable and conscientious about how we're coming off to certain groups of people because at the end of the day, our number one goal is to make sure that if we can get as close to 100% accurate with communicating what we intend and having them receive 100% of what we intend, then we're going to be really successful in our lives. And you can't always come off one way to everybody. And in this way, it's important for us to be aware of what triggers that person or or what we have with an education educated guess gleaned from that person's personality. Um, in general, if you're having important conversations, probably best to not do it in front of kids. Um, and also, in if let's say we're talking about more of like a work scenario or a friend scenario, don't try to target these conversations or these sort of interactions for a place where that person has an innate desire to uphold a reputation. If they have a desire to keep some sort of facade or reputation, don't go attacking them or trying to have a vulnerable interaction or conversation where they're trying to maintain that reputation. Try to do it in a place where they actually are feeling a little bit more open and free to talk and like people aren't watching them. I see this a lot even in the dating game. People just like choose awkward times to go do stuff. So let's take a look at personality traits themselves. In the coursework that I teach, we really highlight five specific ones. And everyone has all five, but I find that every person typically leads in with three in the primary position. And we find this out through an exercise that we call the personality triangle, which helps us establish which three you lead with. In this way, when we find out which three you lead with, we can create action steps and a plan that works primarily on those three because whichever personality traits are the loudest are going to affect the most change the fastest, right? We don't want to make a bunch of action steps for one that no one in your environment's even noticing because no one's even noticing it anyway, so it'd be a waste of all of our time. So communication style for a lot of people is a big one. And you'll notice, so communication style is number one. Number five is external facade. I find for people that are really true introverts and and or not very talkative or don't really lead with communication, usually you'll see people describe number five instead of number one. So I've never once seen somebody have number one and number five. Those are usually an either or, an either or situation. So number one, communication style. Number two, energetic giving and receiving. So this is how we are giving and receiving love and energy with another person. Um, this can be seen as like reliable, loving, caring, compassionate, empathetic, or selfish, um, cold, retaliatory, right? All these adjectives are going to really could describe this potential energetic giving and receiving. Number three, outlook and drive and how it informs your decision making, right? So outlook, drive, and perception these are all going to have adjectives that are speaking specifically about how you look out at something that has not yet happened, how you're dealing with the future. Not everybody has this one because a lot of people are so fixated on the past that they're not focused on the future. And on the flip side, everyone that has massive control issues always has number three. 
because they're always focused on preventing doom or lack of acceptance in the future. Number four, information processing and how that's perceived by others. Uh, this is a very common one that can read as like cold or calculated or shut down or arrogant when really it might just be describing the way you look or come across when you are trying to process high-level information, period, full stop. And then number five, external facade and how it's perceived by others. So everyone is going to have three that are extremely loud compared to the others. Again, that doesn't mean you don't have the others. It just means that the people around you are not noticing as much the two as the three. So it's important in this work that we start to establish what these are so that we can affect change the most. So if you are a premium member, you get a chance to actually submit your personality triangle to me and I help you out with these. So you can see these in your members dashboard. You guys actually have some case studies in there to go through so you can see how I'm lining these all up. So I know that we're almost out of time because we've been going almost 70 minutes. So here's what you can do about shifting these things right away. Obviously, we just described what sorts of things you can shift in your body language, timing, etc. Number one, acknowledge how you've been presenting yourself in the past and offer up insight to the people around you that clearly don't understand you, right? Because some of this is going to be essentially like making amends and owning up to how we've come across incorrectly in the past. Be like, you know what? I realize, I, I listen to this podcast and I realize that sometimes I come off this way and I just want you to know that this is what I actually mean and I'm going to work on it. That can do wonders. Even just owning up to how you've come across poorly in the past can completely shift a relationship. Number two, get out of your head and into a committed voice. People often misread your analysis and people-pleasing as selfish, rude, or unintelligent, right? When we're shaking and wavering and we're just trying to figure out what to say, it doesn't come off well. So the best thing you can do is commit to your words. And again, Bruce Lee, quick and kind. Number three, remember that in many cases, the ones that hate us once loved us the most and they just feel wronged in some way. So it's important to remember that it's okay that people hate us. They probably in many cases once loved us. And for whatever reason, whether it's our fault, their fault, combination, we have shifted our relationship dynamic it's important for us to still see that the adjectives that each would use is still really describing one personality trait along a spectrum. And number four, remember yourself that when people hate you, it means you're showing up 100%. When you're operating in chameleon mode, you might not have any friction, but you're probably living a life of complacency without really deep relationships, and that is not a way to live your life. So... Winter semester, as you know, of Break Method School of Sustainable Self-Mastery. Our registration is now open. Course content unlocked this morning. We have the whole unit one already launched for your viewing and learning pleasure over the holiday season. My podcast listeners get 25% off with the code MYMG25. So if you just type in MYMG25 on the checkout on the coupons, go to www.breakmethod.com. The School of Sustainable Self-Mastery is our four-month online course. We also now offer smaller, more streamlined, affordable course formats that are 100% done on your own schedule, and they're available immediately. And those are also on sale as well. Your coupon code's good for anything there. I also have two upcoming two-day in-person workshops that are open to everybody, regardless of whether you take in the course. January, we have a parenting-focused workshop. That one's going to be amazing. And then in April of 2020, we have our other break two-day intensive. So if you are just not an online learner, that's okay. I can get you the same results in two days. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I will see you next week. Good luck changing those personalities, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Modern Good. The Modern Good is sponsored by the Break Method School of Sustainable Self-Mastery. Winter semester is now unlocked. Registration is open till January 8th. Head over to www.breakmethod.com. And for my listeners, you get a 25% off coupon using the code MYMG25. It's good for all of our online courses and for our two-day intensive workshops in person. Thanks for joining me this week, and I will see you next time. Thank you.